0: Isn't it strange and exciting to suddenly see psilocybin mushrooms everywhere? Even though, as a species, we have been taking mushrooms since the very first humans existed, and perhaps even before, it seems like some sort of threshold was crossed about six years or so ago. Suddenly, there were mushroom cultivation classes all over the place. There was an explosion in the availability of mushroom cultivation books, and the number of websites providing spore syringes of both culinary and psychedelic mushrooms expanded from being a cautious home industry to being a bold and active and competitive home industry. A few cities in the country even took the radical step of reducing penalties for possession and mushrooms, too. All of this happened pretty smoothly and elegantly after years and years of intense repression. So here we are now. Listeners of Shaping Fire very likely have either microdosed mushrooms or LSD or definitely know someone who has. People talk about it out in the open and on talk shows like there's nothing to fear at all. And honestly, from what I'm seeing around the country, that is more or less accurate. The medical establishment has embraced medicinal mushroom psychedelics much more swiftly than it has cannabis. Indeed, mushrooms are being adopted faster, in part, because of the work that activists have done to normalize cannabis. There is a significant wave of pro-mushroom sentiment, and it is growing. as a good pun. Shaping Fire stands with the mushroom educators, cultivators, neighborhood distributors, and all of us healing from trauma or reaching out for enlightenment. I see you. No matter if you consider yourself more scientists or fairy folk, you are the forces of good. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when the new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. This month, we are giving away three prize packs from our friends at Dynamico. Winners will receive full-sized retail bags of Dynamico fungal inoculant, a t-shirt, and sticker. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Los. Today, my guest is Adam Bramlage. Adam Bramlage is founder of Flow State Micro, working one on one with clients to individualize microdosing dosages, protocols, and experiences. Along with the San Francisco Psychedelic Society and the Microdosing Institute, Bramlage is the co-founder of Microdosing Movement and co-founder and lead facilitator for the Microdosing Support Network, the world's first bi-monthly free support group for microdosing education. Adam also spent more than a decade in California cannabis, cultivating sun grown organic flowers and working in distribution and manufacturing. He sold his companies and pivoted into mushrooms after using psilocybin to treat his treatment resistant depression. Today we're going to compare and contrast several approaches to microdosing psilocybin mushrooms. Welcome to Shaping Fire, Adam.
1: Thanks for having me. Nothing I'd rather do than talk microdosing with you today.
0: (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic. So, you know, we should probably state right from the jump that we're going to be talking about mushroom therapies that are still federally illegal. And while there has been an increase in both licensed and unlicensed research into mushrooms, we're going to be talking about a substance that is illegal without question. So neither Adam nor I are suggesting that you use mushrooms, and we are certainly not offering you any. Um, With the episode today. Our goal is to provide a quality interpretation of the knowledge that's already publicly available so you can make informed decisions for your health and when you go to vote. So this statement covers the entirety of the episode, too. So please enjoy the episode in an academic way that it was intended. So, Adam, anything you want to add to that before we move on?
1: Yeah, I always like to mention I'm not a medical doctor, and I am not advising you to do anything. We are simply here to educate you and talk about microdosing.
0: Fabulous. All right, so with us all on the same page on that, let's get started by setting a little bit of context here. Certainly, much has been said about taking full psychedelic trips on mushrooms of, you know, two or three or more grams, and we know that these experiences can offer both psychological and spiritual healing and connection, and that's great. But today, we're going to be talking very specifically about taking regular, very small doses of psilocybin mushrooms a few times a week. Adam, what can microdosing offer an enthusiast that is different than taking a more traditional dose of a few grams?
1: That's a great question, and I think the easiest way to sum it up is when you're microdosing, there are no classic psychedelic effects. So when you're doing a large dose journey, uh, you might have visuals, you feel extremely high, you are aware that you've taken a substance time may be distorted visuals will be distorted nothing like that happens when you're microdosing it is considered a sub perceptual dose meaning below the perception that you're really noticing it Um, you might notice slight bit of energy increase in mood Um, But other than that, it does not have any classic psychedelic effects. The flowers are not talking to you, (laughs) the the doorknob doesn't have a mustache, you know, it's something that you take in your day-to-day life. You can still function, you can still be a parent, you can still drive a car, you can still work your job. So I want to get across to your listeners that microdosing is very different than large dose journeys or macrodosing. It doesn't have any psychedelic effects, and you're taking a very, very small, what we like to say, sub-perceptual amount, meaning below the perception that you notice it of psilocybin.
0: That's great. So let's let's talk a little bit about that threshold point very specifically, because at at some point we're going to be talking about people of about you know how much is in a microdose for the for the various protocols that we're going to be talking about, and. <clears throat> You know, some people are like, all right, so, so what is sub perceptual and what is not? So, so clearly we're not talking about. You know, freestanding hallucinations and the examples that you gave. But, but some people aren't sure whether or not sub perceptual is, for example, um, at low doses, some people feel like something is brewing in their belly, like they can feel something might come on, but with microdosing, it doesn't ever come on. It's just like you feel like there's something brewing. Is, is that considered sub, um, perceptual or is, or is, are there, are there gradations to that?
1: yeah that's a great question and it's different for everyone and again subperceptual might not be the best word to describe it because there's plenty of people that feel energy when they're microdosing okay what we want to make a delineation between is microdosing where maybe you're feeling a little bit of energy and you're getting that extra boost per se to mini dosing which is anxiety in my stomach I really feel the substance. I'm wondering if I'm coming on, is it gonna get stronger? So there is a fine line between the mini dose and the micro dose and that's different for everybody, right? So what we like to say when we're educating people is everybody needs to find their individual sweet spot. A microdose for me might be different than a microdose for yourself. Everybody has different levels of tolerances, different ways that these mushrooms work with their body. So again, it's different for everyone. Some people do like to feel a little bit of energy, like to feel a little bit more of the substance when they are microdosing. So they may take a little bit more. I think it's important when you're microdosing that you're still able to do everything that you would do in your normal life right? And I say that a lot of times anxiety is a good indication if your dose is too high or if it's a microdose. If you've taken psilocybin and your anxiety is heightened and you're not feeling like being social, I believe, in my opinion, that that's a mini dose and that's not a microdose. A microdose should be at a level that makes you more sociable, that lowers your anxiety. So what's important in microdosing is that when people are experimenting with it, they have to start low and go slow, have to start at a really low dosage, and then they have to experiment with what is too much, what is too little, and what is just right. It's kind of the Goldilocks analogy now that I think about it. You know, you have to start low, go slow, but maybe you might have to take a little bit too much sometime to realize what the difference is between subperceptual microdose and a mini-dose.
0: So when I was originally learning microdosing, uh, people tended to suggest to me anyway that a default-setting microdose was 0.1 gram. And for me, I found that I felt more of the effects at 0.1 than what I could consider sub-perceptual, right? I definitely felt it at 0.1, and so I kept on bringing brought it down to 0.9, then 0. Point .8 and then point .7 and I find for me that if if I really need to not feel it really from, for me it's more like point .6 or point .7 which you know gets chuckles from friends but you know there really is an important difference between a micro and a mini dose in how you're planning on spending your day. So if we're if we're if our goal is to start uh, low and increase slowly um, what would you consider to be you know based on what you're hearing from people reporting to you how low is the appropriate place to start like is you know is like 0.05 like a like a place to start and then like go up by 0.01s or or what are you what are you seeing in your experience?
1: Yeah I think <clears throat> 0.05 is exactly where you start which is 50 milligrams and you know I run a microdosing support network with the San Francisco Psychedelic Society twice a month and we have people show up that share with us their personal stories and one gentleman a few weeks ago Uh, a full grown ass man, probably weighing between 180 and 200 pounds, which shows you that it's not strictly related to size of the person or weight, uh, was telling our group that he only needs 0.02 or 20 milligrams. So what I want to get across to people is people, everyone is unique and different. There's no standard dose, a way that psilocybin is going to hit you. Not to mention there are different varieties of psilocybin and different strengths. So that also could hit you differently. So I would start at, like you said, 50 milligrams and then go up to 75 and then go up to 100 and then go up to 125 and 150 and go up maybe at 25 milligram increments. But, you know, I have to be honest with you. I believe there are a lot of people out there that are microdosing that are really just enjoying getting high and they're taking more than is considered a microdose. And they have ha- are having some of the classic psychedelics effects throughout their day and they're enjoying it because it is different than a large dose journey. You can function, but there is a fine line between microdose and mini dose, and um, it depends on what you're looking for. And again, with the start low, go slow, uh, 50 milligrams is a great place to start.
0: So if somebody is taking that little bit more than a microdose, so that they're now taking a mini-dose, and they do feel it, and it's just adding positivity to their day, so long as it's not taking away from their you know, functioning the way they want to during the day, is there any inherent reason why a microdose is superior than that slightly larger mini-dose?
1: I mean, who am I to say that either one is superior, really? You know, to be honest with you, I have days where I mini dose, or I might be out in nature and and I want, might take a little bit more for connection, You know, that's unique to the individual and their experience and what they get out of it. Again, I, I'm not anyone special to say that people shouldn't thoroughly enjoy mini dosing. I mean, I know that there are times where I enjoy concert dose when I dose properly. And there are times when people enjoy the museum dose, which is a little bit less than a concert dose. So again, I think there are great ways to mini dose and museum dose and concert dose. But here's the caveat and the disclaimer is you have to be, you know, somewhat of an expert psychonaut. You have to somewhat know what you're doing because these are powerful tools and you want to be safe and you want to be in a good set and setting. So again, I really don't work with people in large dose or mini dose. I like to just strictly stay in, in the microdose area, but absolutely there are benefits from mini dosing and people that enjoy taking a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there are there are benefits to each level of dose. And again, you know, we've seen that Terence McKenna for a long time and the five grand hero journey has been a sign of, you know, the large dose. And in, in reality, there's also Kalindi Ayi, who was talking about taking 30, 40 grams of oh, mushrooms. Man. So, uh, again, you know, dosages are different and unique to everybody. And um, I can't say that microdosing is superior to mini-dosing, but what I want to say um, about keeping it in that microdosing range is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's more sub-perceptual. You're not noticing um, necessarily that you're high as much.
0: Fantastic. So one thing before we go on to talking specifically about the stamets, I know we're not talking about macro doses today, but you're so well versed at at talking about psychedelics. Would you please uh, explain set and setting for folks? Because even if it doesn't have to do with the show today, I think it's a healthy thing for us to remind and make sure more people are aware of.
1: Yeah, set and setting is something that Leary developed years ago, I think still while he was at Harvard. And it's the idea set meaning your mindset and setting, meaning the outside environment that you're in. And the idea is psychedelics are powerful, powerful tools. These are not for everybody, right? And set, you have to take them when you're in a good mindset. These are not something you should take when you're really struggling or uh, having a really difficult time. And then setting, you have to be so careful when taking large doses about what your outside setting is. And to be honest with you in the past, I've been very, uh, you know, I've definitely taken large doses in the wrong settings and it has been very uncomfortable and I would not recommend it to anyone. So for beginners out there who are thinking about a large dose journey, again, the idea of set and setting uh, tends to be the most important factor Uh, probably next to dosage um, that depends or uh, decides whether or not you have quote-unquote a positive or a quote-unquote bad experience.
0: Right on. Thank you for that. So, the focus of today's episode is to compare two of the most popular protocols for taking low doses of psilocybin mushrooms. And the first is the protocol offered by Paul Stamets, and the second we will talk about is the approach offered by James Fadiman. Now, both scientists are seen as visionaries in the field, and it isn't our goal to really say one is necessarily better than the other. Um, These protocols usually involve taking a combination of mushrooms and other supplements. And, and when taken together, these these different attributes or components are known as a stack. So, people, you often hear people refer to them as the Stamets stack or the Fadiman stack. Um, our goal is to present each of them today in such a way that you can weigh them for yourself and, more importantly, discuss them with other people. So, Adam, would you please walk us through <laughs> the combination of substances that Paul Stamets suggests mushrooms be taken with together as the Stamets micro.
1: Yeah, long live Paul Stamets. Paul Stamets for president of the universe. Um, So Paul Stamets was the first one I've heard of to come up with the idea of stacking other functional mushrooms with psilocybin while microdosing. And he developed what's known as the Stamets stack, which is stacking psilocybin with lion's mane and niacin. The lion's mane is a mushroom that increases uh, neuroplasticity as well as neurogenesis, which is the same thing that the psilocybin does. So I, again, uh, learned from Paul. and. I'm a strong believer in stacking your lion's mane with the psilocybin, and then he added niacin as well, which is an activation and flushing agent, and and when I've heard him speak about it, he talks about uh, the ability for the niacin to bring the mushrooms to the tips of the fingers and the tips of the toes and to get it spread out really effectively throughout the body. That is the Stamet stack, and with that stack, he developed his protocol. Protocol meaning what is the schedule for days on and days off during the week that you're going to microdose? Because again, one of the most important things about microdosing is this is not something you do seven days a week. This is not a Western medical model of antidepressants every day for the rest of your life. So they've developed protocols first starting with Dr. fadham's protocol, and then Paul Stamets was the second one to come up. Stamets protocol, he has two actually, they're four days on, three days off, or five days on, two off. When Dr fadiman has asked him um, what's the difference between the protocols his answer is uh it's the option to give people flexibility Mm -hmm. really more than anything and not to lock into one saying five two is better or four three is better so one of the protocols that i recommend often to the clients i work with is the stamets protocol and uh i prefer the five two uh, I think it works really well during the week, Monday to Friday, you can take your weekend off or you can you can switch it out some other way. But again, whether you're doing five days on, two days off, or four days on, three days off, uh, it's a really great protocol that Paul has developed. And what's fascinating from these days off is not only in large dose psychedelics but in small dose psychedelics there is a 48-hour effect or what we call an afterglow with the large dose journeys so on your days off after the substance has built up in your system you are still benefiting from the substance and sometimes your days off can be better than your days on which is really um somewhat fascinating compared to, to the Western medical uh, system and how their pharmaceuticals work. So that is the Stamets protocol.
0: So, at the top of explaining the stack, you described both the psilocybin and the lion's mane as causing neurogenesis, which um, we talk about a lot on this show, as far as how it, it works with the endocannabinoid system, and and uh, you know laying down new neural pathways, and um, and often cleaning up the the uh, the plaques that build up um, uh, along the neural pathways as well. My question for you is, do we know that the lion's mane and the psilocybin um, promote neurogenesis in different ways um i mean so many of the functions of psilocybin we don't actually know yet so what can what kind of color can you add to that about how the two of these work together to to cause our brain to heal and grow
1: yeah i'm pretty sure there aren't any studies where where they're stacking lion's mane and psilocybin and seeing the benefits. I think Paul is hypothesizing off of individual studies. I think one being with lion's mane and rats, where they were able to test the rats post-mortem and, and see neurogenesis. And I think that they have done similar studies with rats and psilocybin. I think one just came out in the last few weeks where uh, this, the brains of rats that were given psilocybin uh, a couple weeks post before they're, they're, uh, they're killed and studied um, had larger brains. So, so uh, again we don't have the studies I think you, you know there might be a few out there but I think that this is more uh, a hypothesis of uh, what they believe is happening
0: so, I want to talk a little bit about the niacin flush. Um, I liked your explanation that uh, that the niacin uh, actually helps with the transport of moving the psilocybin around the body so you get more of a full-body experience of healing. Um, and I had never heard it described that way, and I like that. Um I have back in the days in the mid 90s when I was living more close to you in the Bay Area you know we were all into smart drugs and nootropics and uh, niacin flushes were popular for a while and we would take a high enough dosage of niacin that we would you know literally our skin would flush would get red Um, some people tend would get a little itchy on their skin but but mostly just makes your face look really flush Um, should people be expecting some flavor of that with the amount that's recommended by Stamets, or is is the amount of niacin much lower than getting that that niacin flush?
1: Yeah, if you get the niacin flush, that's an indication that you're taking too much niacin. Um, And that's the feedback that I get more often than not, um, and why I don't use niacin personally is people have a difficult time uh, finding an amount that does not cause that flushing and redness. And, and that type of feeling. So um, yeah, that's definitely something that's reported often about niacin. So, so even though you don't use the
0: niacin yourself, and I'm not personally a fan of it myself either, um, do you know off the top of your head what the prescribed niacin as part of the Stamets stack is just so people know it?
1: You know what? I, I want to guess something like 50 milligrams, but don't listen to me. You can just search the stem at Stack Online, or, or I think he gave a TED Talk on YouTube you can find. I don't know the exact amount for niacin. You know, I, I believe strongly in the stacking of mushrooms. Um, Flowstate has a proprietary blend where we stack chaga, cordyceps, Uh, maitake and lion's mane, and we feel like all of those mushrooms um, are creating somewhat of an entourage effect like you see in cannabis. You know, I'm someone who believes that the whole plant uh, of cannabis is effective. We don't know everything that's going on with it. We haven't isolated much more than THC and a few others. So again, I feel like with these mushrooms, there is something really special happening when you combine lion's mane with psilocybin. There's something really happen, really special happening when you add chaga for immunity and cordyceps for energy and stress. Um, so again, I think that this will also be the future of nootropic drugs. I've heard Paul Stamitz talk about how the future of nootropics are these microdosing stacks and that he believes in the future, you know, Silicon Valley firms will be battling over, you know, who's microdosing and who's not. And <laughs> those employees that are microdosing will be more valuable to the companies. So again, I've seen it in my own own life that microdosing, in my opinion, grows the brain, makes you more creative, uh, blocks the default mode network, gets you out of the old rutted thinking that you're used to and feeling more energized and created. So there's amazing things going on in the brain and the body, and I think it's really beneficial to add uh, other mushrooms to your regimen with the psilocybin when you microdose.
0: Fantastic. So before we talk about the uh, the Fatman protocol, let's go ahead and take our first short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire and my guest today is microdosing educator Adam Bramlage. If you're an autoflowering cannabis enthusiast, this event's for you. Announcing the 2021 Autoflower Cup, August 6th, 7th, and 8th in Up, Washington, just outside of Seattle. Presented by Camp Ruderalis, this gathering has something for everyone. There's the Autoflower Cup competition, of course, but it's so much more than that. There'll be a stunden glass hookah lounge, a pop-up magical butter chocolate shop, and waterfront marketplace with an array of vendors. There will be an old-school autoflower seed swap, joint-rolling competition, cannabis cooking demos, solventless squishing demos, and late-night documentary screenings of both Dosed and Fantastic Fungi. The food will be lit, too, including Chef Sebastian Carosi's award-winning classics like Elk Chili, Kobe Beef Kimchi Dogs, Oyster Po' Boys, and Razor Clam Chowder. Enjoy the campfire chili and oyster chowder cook-off, wild oyster harvesting, mushroom foraging, and s'mores around the campfires each night. Each day there, Dan Jimmy of Mandalorian will teach about autoflowers, and there will be presentations on closet cultivation and hunting for psilocybin mushrooms. The competition is open to everyone, commercial and home growers. There is a category for photo period plants, too, so check out the theautoflowercup2021.com for those details. Clearly, there will be plenty of cannabis around, but due to state law, it won't be supplied by the event, but there will be easy public toking, which is why this is a strictly over-21 event. You can camp, rent a cabin, or stay at a local Airbnb. Glamping and RV packages are available too. I'm happy to say that Shaping Fire is a sponsor of the event, and I'll be there too. I look forward to connecting with other Autoflower fans like me. So, get all the details at theautoflowercup2021.com and follow the Instagram at theautoflowercup2021. And I'll see you in August at Autoflower Cup when we bring the Autoflower family together to celebrate. This message is for folks who grow cannabis. I'm talking to home growers, patients, and commercial growers too. I'm probably talking to you. When you plan out your next growing cycle, be sure to check out Humboldt CSI Seeds at HumboldtCSI.com. Caleb Inspecta and his family have lived in Humboldt County for over 100 years. For the last 40 years, three generations of his family have cultivated extraordinary sensomia Cannabis in Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity Counties. Because of his lineage and the hard-earned experience that comes from growing up smoking and sifting large populations of cannabis plants in Northern California, the seeds you'll cop from CSI will be winning genetics based on longtime heavy hitters and updated and re-sifted to bring out new and exotic traits and better yields. Go ahead and ask around. Caleb, also known as Inspecta and Pirates of the Emerald Triangle, is a breeder's breeder. He reaches way back and works with significant strains, recreating them in new and interesting ways that you'll love as a toker and a grower, as well as offering you some surprises that will delight serious seed traders and cultivators. Humboldt CSI goes a further step and selfs all these chemovars so you know all the seeds will be female. These are not experimental feminized seeds. Humboldt CSI releases some of the best female seeds available anywhere, and it will show in your garden. Folks grew quite a bit of CSI Humboldt Gen X last year here on Vashon Island, and everyone was pleased. The patients had beautiful female plants and didn't have to cull half of their garden as males. The folks growing for the fun of getting high grew colorful flowers with exceptional bag appeal and great highs, and breeders had 7 out of 7 females in a pack, which gave them a lot of phenotypic choices. Take a moment right now and visit HumboldtCSI.com. You'll find an up-to-date menu of both feminized and regular lines, along with photos and descriptions. That's HumboldtCSI.com. One of the reasons why no-till cannabis growing is so valued by farmers is because the mycelium networks in the soil remain established from year to year. And we know these fungal networks are essential because they are the nutrient superhighways that extend far and wide in the substrate to feed your plants. The trouble with growing in new living soils or blended cocoa substrates is that it takes most of the plant's life just to create these mycelium highways. Dinomyco endomycorrhizal fungi inoculant reduces that time and gets your plant eating a wider array of nutrients faster. And it's three times the concentration of the other popular brand in the US at 900 propagules per gram of two fungal species selected specifically for cannabis cultivation. Dynamico is the result of 30 years of research and trials at the Volcani Agriculture Research Institute in Israel. It has also been vigorously trialed by cannabis and food growers across the U.S. Dynomyco is now available at grow shops and on Amazon in the United States. I love using Dynomyco to both speed up the growth of the mycelium networks in the soil, but also as a biostimulant to make clone cuttings more virile. You can see side-by-sides showing the comparative growth on their Instagram at Dynomyco. If you demand reliable growing results and appreciate the importance of an active root zone in creating a thriving plant, I encourage you to check out Dynomyco.com and use the store locator to find out where you can get yours. That's D-Y-N-O-M-Y-C-O dot Shaping Fire listeners can get 10% off any size of Dynamico on Amazon or Dynomyco.com by using the discount code SHAPINGFIRE, one word, no caps. Whether you are starting with new beds or pots, or if you want to add some zing to tired soil, choose Dynomyco to maximize your plant's potential. Dynomyco Endomycorrhizal Inoculant. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is microdosing educator Adam Bramlage. So, before the fir- before the break, we were finishing up with the Paul Stamets stack, and that is a stack of psilocybin, niacin, and lion's mane, and then the protocol, uh, which determines suggestions for how many days to take it and then how many days to take a break. Now, um, Paul Stamets, because he is, you know, a visionary and incredibly Popular. That's often the first uh, protocol that people run into, just because Paul Stamets is kind of everywhere as a mushroom god. Um, but James Fadiman is also wildly respected among mushroom people, and he's an active teacher, um, well spoken, and you know pretty universally respected as well. So. His protocol is slightly different than Paul's, and so I think it's well worthwhile to consider his and then kind of compare and contrast them. So so let's point you in that direction, Adam. And so uh, before we compare it to Paul's stack, if you'd please just take a moment and explain uh, James Fadiman's uh, uh, stack and then protocol, and then we'll do the comparison
1: after awesome yeah and just a brief background on dr fathom and about 13 years ago he wrote a book called the psychedelic explorer's guide which was somewhat of a guide for people who wanted to take large dose journeys and how to safely and effectively do so in that book it was the first time that he mentioned microdosing, which was using small doses of psychedelics after writing that book he began to get hundreds of emails from people all over the world telling him miracle stories about how microdosing helped everything from shingles to uh, you name it, just about everything. So that's basically where the modern microdosing movement started was 13 years ago with the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. Uh, Dr. Fadiman decided that he needed to come up with a protocol um, for people on how to properly dose. And so his idea and his protocol is one day on Two days off. Now, the idea behind this protocol when talking to him is he said it was a research protocol. So, this is a protocol where he wants to get you back to a baseline at some point. So, the first day on is your microdose day. The, s- the second day is your first day off. That is your afterglow day. That is your 48 hour effect day. You still should be getting effects from the microdose on your first day off. Now, your second day off for research purposes is when you return to a baseline and are quote-unquote sober. And at this point, you should be journaling as to the differences on your sober day as opposed to the differences on your on day, as opposed to the differences on your afterglow day. So again, the idea behind was he wanted people to reach back to a baseline on that third day.
0: So does does James Fadiman recommend... Um, Anything else in his stack other than the psilocybin, for example, like the niacin or the lion's mane, or something else?
1: You know, I was just watching a new podcast with with Dr. Fadiman today, and he he believes strongly in in the stacking of of mushrooms you know i'm not going to say per se which one he uh he approves of but yeah he definitely i I think believes in in the stacking of mushrooms and what paul's doing and what flow state is doing and and you know um i've definitely heard him talk to that but i'm not going to speak for him right
0: Right. so um so if he is doing a research protocol um I like the idea that brings us back to a baseline. Should we also intuit into that that um, he's not necessarily suggesting that this is a patient's healing protocol? Or can we make that jump and say, oh, you could use his research protocol as a patient protocol as well?
1: Well, that's a, that's a really good question, and that lends us into a third and and popular protocol, which is the Microdosing Institute protocol developed out of Holland, and that's day on, day off. And the reason they developed that protocol is because they had a lot of clientele telling them that on that third baseline day… They dropped back into their deep depression, oh. and would it would it be possible to dose again? And so from there, this amazing group out of the Netherlands uh, developed the protocol of day on, day off, and that's a protocol that we want to start getting out there and, and making more popular with the world, because again, there is no one protocol that works, and you know, beyond the Fatiman protocol and the stamets protocol and the microdosing institute protocol, what happens with most clients that I work with is after a month or two, they end up developing their own protocol, which is the intuitive protocol. And it might be different from week to week. um, And it might depend on their schedule or how they're feeling or what's going on in their life. So the other thing that Dr. Fadiman developed was the idea that you have to microdose for at least a month before you decide whether or not it worked. You know, there are small changes happening every day. I like to say baby steps or brick by brick things are happening. So again, I want to repeat to people that you want to give yourself a minimum of a month before you decide the positives and the negatives. And what I suggest is maybe week 1 you try one protocol, week 2 you try a different protocol, we, and you can really mess around with the protocols because I know for myself having done this for more than 3 years, there might be a month where I'm on a stamp protocol. And then the next month, um, due to stressors or things happening in my life, I might switch to the Microdosing Institute protocol, which is day on, day off. And then, you know, there are protocols that we haven't even talked about when I'm working with clients that are weaning uh, heavy pharmaceuticals or are having addictions. And that's the fact that over the course of the weaning product, there are rare cases where they might microdose seven days a week um, just to help them with the withdrawal in the first few weeks. But ultimately, nobody is really microdosing seven days a week. We don't want a tolerance to build up. We don't want a mental uh, thing building up where you think you need this. And again, the days off, tend to be just as good, if not better, which is a really fascinating new medical model that we can present to the world.
0: So what does it feel like to have a higher tolerance? I mean, most of us in cannabis know what it feels like to uh, build up a tolerance to cannabis, but for folks who are trying to recognize it with their microdosing, what are the signs that they can look for?
1: Signs they can look for is, is after a month or two, they're noticing that they're not feeling as much of the effects that they were feeling at the beginning. Again, what's really amazing with psilocybin, in my personal opinion, and this is my opinion, is that it has a fungal intelligence built in. And if people try to abuse it, meaning people try to take it in large amounts too many times, it's gonna take those people on a very not fun journey. And when they sober up, the last thing they're gonna think about is taking a large dose of psilocybin. It's similar with the small doses if people abuse it and they take it for two or three months straight it's just not going to work anymore it's going to build a tolerance and not be effective It's similar with cannabis if you know you're smoking three times a day for a month um, at the end of the month you know it's gonna take you more bong rips to to get high than it did at the beginning so more than anything, I think that you know you're probably just not getting as much as the positive benefits which is uplift and energy uplift and mood um, that kind of stuff.
0: So I want to ask you a question about fungal intelligence. And I think it I think that one of the reasons why your to hear how you talk about it will be very engaging to people is because you are a clear spoken scientific Person who understands the complexities of mushrooms, and part of its complexity, sure, there's a lot of mushroom stuff that happens in the clinic, and we can we're talking about protocols, but there, you know, along the, the along the sides of the research of mushrooms and the experience, there is this. Fungal intelligence. And so would you please just address that for people who, you know, either haven't considered that part or people who really just approach their um, mushrooms as a protocol and as raw science to perhaps open up a door to that, that there might be something extra going on here?
1: Yeah, I mean, anybody that hasn't seen Fantastic Fungi, which you can check out on Amazon, which really breaks down mushrooms and mycelium, and and even what they're doing at John Hopkins with with psilocybin treatments. You know, I really suggest checking that out. But the farther you dive into the whole of mushrooms and fungus, uh, you know, the largest fossil ever found is, I believe, eight hundred million years old, and it's a mushroom. And basically, what we're finding now is that plants and animals derived from mushrooms. We know that, right? So it's not surprising that these mushrooms heal us or help us or our tools or grow our brains. So in my opinion, and, and other people talk about this, I am by no means the creator of this idea. There is an intelligence to these plant medicines, to these mushrooms. And I'm sorry, but we're never going to be able to figure out the levels of this intelligence in a lab. It's just not quantifiable. It's just not trackable. It's beyond human brain. And so, when I'm working with people, I like to remind them that this isn't just a nootropic or a vitamin or a supplement. Like, this is a sacred tool. I remind them, first of all, that you are the medicine, we are the medicine, and it is a tool that is going to help us. So, uh, again, there is an intelligence to these mushrooms that I couldn't even properly put into words. And If people are humble enough to believe that and to try, um, I really feel like it's something that is not only going to change, People's inner workings, but also our planet. You know, I, I've I'm a big fan of Paul Stamets, and I agree with him. I think the answers to global warming and everything that we're facing right now is mushrooms. I'm talking about mushrooms to eat up plastic, mushrooms to eat up garbage, mushrooms to clean up uh, Chernobyl and toxic waste, and uh, you know, also for our own personal health. You know, Paul Stamets figured out a way to use mushroom extract to save the bees from bee colony collapse. And that's another thing he says about microdosing. Paul Stamets believes microdosing is how we're going to crack the code to solving the problems of the future. He believes that by people microdosing more often, creating new neural pathways and thinking outside of the default mode network, that we're going to be able to solve these problems that we haven't been able to solve. And in my personal opinion, that Fungal intelligence was part of the Mayan tradition, the Aztec, the Egyptian, all of these traditions. They've been using these mushrooms and these plant medicines to get intelligence and figure out how to do many things, from probably building their pyramids to you name it. So again, there is an intelligence that we're never going to be able to put into human words.
0: I recently saw a meme that I really uh, enjoyed, and it said, um, "Psychedelics is nature trying to speak with us," and um, and I like I like that sentiment. And you know, there there are a lot of people who do experiment with microdosing that may not immediately embrace the fungal intelligence part uh, I've got friends who who at the beginning didn't really care about that part they wanted to microdose because they write software and they wanted to you know be able to envision the software differently and and and, and see more big picture so they started taking that to be to be better at their job and a couple months into it you can see them evolve into you know having some kind kind Of respect for the fungal intelligence, and, and that's kind of funny, right? Because regardless of who you are that you bring to this psilocybin around your belief in fungal intelligence, it kind of gets done to you anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You know, it's you don't, yeah, it, 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 it yeah, I don't, it, I'm speechless right now because the, the, the long and short of it is it has a unique relationship with everybody that it works with. And I am blown away day to day with how many messages I get from clients that are improving their lives and improving their lives in ways where now their wife wants to microdose. Now they want to get their daughter microdosing and off of her antidepressants. And it's just an amazing spiral of people healing themselves and then helping others to heal.
0: So let's, uh, before we go to our second break, let's talk a little bit about um uh individualized medicine so you've mentioned a couple times uh about um you know how, how people tend to get started and they you know they, they they're learning from somebody whether it be a friend or an educator or a book or wherever and so they'll they'll, they'll Start following a protocol that has been recommended to them, and over time, um, they start to do the intuitive protocol, you called it. So, would you talk a little bit about that transition from um, a protocol that we've been taught... To a protocol that we've designed ourselves, I'm sure that working with um, as many students as you have, that you you have perhaps a few best practices for adapting a protocol you've been given into one that you've made
1: yourself yeah absolutely and and beyond the the protocols we know you know i also suggest for the clients that they stack some very important things in their life like exercise you know they reduce the amount of alcohol little things like that so you know the stacking of exercise i think is actually hugely beneficial to to people as well and i just wanted to to mention that um and I forgot the end of sure, the other question. Sure, I'm
0: looking I'm looking for best practices for going from a set protocol to an individualized intuitive protocol.
1: Yeah, best practices. So again, you know, I would say in that first month that it's nice to try out the protocols that have been developed because they work but what i see over time is after that first month people naturally get into this intuitive space and in the same way that you talked about people naturally uh, connect with the fungal intelligence over time i think microdosing makes people more intuitive it makes people more confident it makes them follow their intuition so it's a natural occurrence it's not that there's a sop for um you know how best to create your own intuitive protocol it's something that is unique again to the individual some people might develop it in week three some people might develop it in month three so more than anything it's a natural process doesn't happen at the same time for everyone. And I think developing an intuitive protocol um, over time is something that can be uh, powerful for the person. And again, you know, we're asking people to stack exercise, stack things like yoga, breath work, uh, healthy diet, all kinds of stuff. So there are, there are a lot of things weighing in to, to help out that microdosing, but people tend to find that protocol on their own over time. It's not that I'm coaching them in any way how to find them. Like I said, I think that the microdosing makes them more intuitive. You know, you spoke of your your friends that were taking it to do better at work, that's probably somebody that should microdose lsd lsd is really good for focus for coding for staying on task for being outward in the world psilocybin a little different psilocybin more inward it's more uh giving you the the ability to work on yourself to, to create, but it's not as focused outward. So something I would uh, just mention to everybody is, you know, I see psilocybin microdosing is more of an inner journey, um, whereas LSD is more of something people are using for focus, uh, like you said, in Silicon Valley and coding jobs where they need to stay up for 16 hours and, and think outside of the box.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. All right. So last thing before we go to the second set, well, you know, I'm sure that you work with some people who have got trepidation, right? They're actually uncomfortable with all of this. I mean, I'm very comfortable talking about it now because, you know, we were doing this stuff recreationally back in, you know, college. All those, all those years ago. And so I'm pretty comfortable with it, but, but there are a lot of people who approach this as an adult and it's been demonized and taboo their whole life, but they do want relief or they do want to connect with their, you know, their spiritual side or, or for whatever that draws them. They're coming to this and they're reading all this good stuff, but, but in their heart of hearts, they're, you know, they got some trepidation. Um, what do you offer folks to kind of, uh, soothe them and, and help them get their mindset correct?
1: It's a good question. I mean, I, I like to remind people that mushrooms don't know they're illegal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the fact that uh, somebody can tell us we can't put something that grows naturally from God's green earth into our system is, is kind of outrageous. Um, if people have a really tough time with the legality or the idea that a mushroom is a drug, um, I tend to direct them to The Immortality Key, uh, a new book that just came out where they've basically proven that, uh, You know, back in Greek times, they were doing this rite of passage that involved Irgat, which is where LSD came from, Um, Socrates, Plato, democracy, theater, the Olympics, everything developed out of these psychedelic rites of passage. And basically, when the Romans took over, one of their leaders um, made it illegal for these ceremonies anymore, and you were punishable by death, and within 20-30 years, they basically uh, got it out of all of history, and the way that we've proven it now is they've been able to do DNA testing on the goblets that they've found in these ancient altar sites, and they've they've proven that they were tripping in these ceremonies. So I just remind people that saying that mushrooms is a drug is is uh, or illegal is more of something that's happened, you know, since 1972 when Nixon created the whole idea of this drug war. And I just try to ease their uh, ease their tension on it. And you know what, to be honest with you, if somebody's really worried about it, I just don't work with them. And uh, when they're ready, um, they're ready. And I don't like to force anything on them. You know, Dr. Fadiman likes to say, if anyone asks him if they should do a large dose journey, he says no. And then they say, why do you say no? And he said, because if you have to ask me if you should do it, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are all kinds of different ways to, to look at things.
0: Right on. Good. I really appreciate that. And if uh, if you are listening while you're driving or riding your bike or whatever, and you want to remember the Immortality Key book, um, th- there'll be a link to it on the Shaping Fire website uh, when you get back to your computer. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and take our second short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is microdosing educator Adam Bramlage. While I love growing under the sun, there's a lot of good reasons to grow indoors, and if you're like most folks, you want a lighting source that grows high-yielding, healthy plants without using excessive amounts of electricity. BIOS Lighting creates biological lighting solutions that brings the natural brilliance of the outdoors into your grow room. BIOS lighting has the attributes that I look for in a horticultural lighting solution. I've bought those cheap lights online and they're difficult to work with and fail in no time. In contrast, my BIOS LED light is industrial grade to last a long time. It is IP66 wet rated so little foliar overspray won't harm it. It is easy to clean without taking it down and of course, the most important aspect, it is built for the exact light spectrum I want for great yielding, healthy cannabis plants. And it doesn't hurt that their lighting rigs look badass, too. Many horticultural LED lighting systems are based on irrelevant performance metrics and people love to argue online about these numbers. I prefer to judge on par photon efficiency and how happy my plants are, and the BIOS lights exceed my expectations in these categories. BIOS lights have an optimized broad spectrum that maximizes photosynthesis and plant growth while also providing the ideal conditions for superior par efficacy and a comfortable visual experience. I also love their attentive and over-educated customer service folks. BIOS starts with a team of biologists before getting the electrical engineers involved. They have studied how light impacts cannabis plants and devised an overall strategy that works. I encourage you to check out their website at bioslighting.com to learn more about how this strategy can work for you. And Shaping Fire listeners can get a special deal. Use the discount code Shaping Fire, all one word, no caps, for 10% off your entire purchase. That's BiosLighting.com. As cannabis regulations become more demanding and consumers become more educated, it is increasingly important to avoid the use of chemical pesticides when cultivating cannabis. Beneficial insects have been used for decades by the greenhouse vegetable and ornamental plant industry, and today many cannabis cultivators are moving from sprays and chemicals to beneficial insects. Copert Biological Systems has the beneficial insects, mites, and nematodes, microbials, sticky cards, and air distribution units you need to partner with nature to defend your garden. Whether you manage acres of canopy or have a simple grow tent in your home, Copert is ready to help answer your questions and help you transition away from chemical sprays towards clean and natural solutions. Since 1967, Copert has assisted growers in identifying pests and devising reliable solutions while providing healthy insects and mites that will protect your yield. Since the 1990s, Copert has been a leader in cannabis pest and disease control worldwide and have highly trained consultants to assist you in Canada and the U.S. from coast to coast. No matter where you live, Copert Biological Systems can help. Visit copert.com, choose your country, and get detailed information. That's copert, K-O-P-P-E-R-T.com. For the most up-to-date cannabis-related biological control information, you can also check out their Instagram, at Copert Canada. You know getting away from pesticides is good for health and good for business, and Copert is ready to help. Visit copert.com today. With the National Hemp Program in flux due to stringent THC testing requirements, brothers Seth and Eric Crawford continue to release seeds to hemp farmers that will be legal, no matter how you grow them or when you test them. These new varieties from Oregon CBD seeds have substantial amounts of CBDV, CBGV, CBCV, and THCV, while always staying below the 0.3% THC limit and guaranteeing compliant crops for farmers every time. Also, these new varieties cannot be pollinated by your neighbor's uncontrolled pollen or a rogue male in your own crop either. Oregon CBD Seeds are non-GMO certified too. Oregon CBD Seeds was founded and funded in 2015 by Seth and Eric maxing out their personal credit cards without outside investment. They continue to refuse outside investment that would change their company culture. Oregon CBD grows tons of fresh food on their research farms for local food banks. Literally tons of food. They also give away tens of thousands of pounds of R&D flour to patients. As their company began to succeed, Seth and Eric started donating money to the cannabis medicine and hemp fiber cause too by giving millions of dollars to Oregon State University in order to establish the world's leading cannabis genomics research program. And they treat their employees right. Oregon CBD pays for full health and dental coverage for their employees, a 401k program, and their minimum starting wage is 20 bucks an hour. Plus, everyone shares food from the farms. Seth has been on Shaping Fire a few times to talk about novel cannabinoids. You can check out episodes 25 and 37 on CBD cultivars in the hemp market, episode 66 on triploid cannabis genetics, and the very first Shaping Fire Live, episode 47, with Seth and soil expert Jeff Lowenfels talking about autoflowers. If you are a hemp farmer and you want to grow reliable seeds that are sure to thrive and pass testing, check out OregonCBDSeeds.com to learn more about buying seeds for the 2021 season. That's OregonCBDSeeds.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is microdosing educator, Adam Bramlage. So, um, regardless of what protocol you decide to go with uh, in your journey, you know, most people run into the same handful of challenges or, or attributes of micro dosing. And it's good to know about your possibility of running into them in advance. So I've made a short list of things that people have asked me about or I've experienced with psilocybin. And we're going to go through those with Adam now so that you, know, you can have a full picture of what this looks like and you can know what you might run into and you'll have some solutions in advance. So Adam, I think that one of the biggest issues that we have for folks are People trying to get the right dosage, and during the first set, um, you you know we talked about the the, the starting low and increasing slowly, and uh, people probably get that. But but I mean like specifically measuring doses to make sure that you get uh, the proper amount. These num- these these weights that we're talking about are very specific. So um, what do you recommend to your clients to to make sure that they are actually getting the dose that they're trying to get?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So if you're microdosing, to all the listeners out there, you need to go get yourself a nice digital scale, something small that reads in the tenths and the hundredths of a gram. And we need to stop just nibbling little pieces off the stem and the cap, and we need to really document how much we're taking so that we know what's our effective dose, because again, it's unique for everyone. So again, you're going to want a coffee grinder, because what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to grind up the dried fruiting body. You're going to want to make sure that that dried fruiting body is cracker dry. We're talking super dry, okay? You don't want to make sure there's any moisture or mold that could grow within these mushrooms. Once it's cracker dry, you blend it up into a powder, and then you're literally weighing out And if you're concerned, if you're someone who has a low tolerance for substances, then maybe you start out at 25 milligrams. And that means that's 0.025 on a scale. So it's a very, very small amount. I then recommend that you get a capsule and you put it in a capsule. I think it's a lot easier on your stomach if it's in a capsule than just putting it on your tongue, maybe even a smoothie. Um, So that is probably the best way to do it. But we really need to take the time and the care To get a scale to weigh it out i suggest grinding it up why i think grinding it up helps is i think it breaks it down a little bit more for your system and it's already more broken down and more available for you than if you were just to munch the fruiting body so that's my biggest suggestion is is Getting that scale, again, 50 milligrams is probably the good place to start for most people. If you're really concerned, the lowest I've ever heard still having an effect is 20 milligrams. You could start there. Um, If you're a regular psychonaut and and you're like 50 just doesn't sound like a big enough number for me, start at 100. Um, But once people start getting over 200 milligrams, it's usually um, not a microdose for most people some people have a higher tolerance and some people might think that 200 milligram to 400 milligram is that mini dose range i know it is for me um and that's another way that you could use it but if you're going to start slow uh you start low and go slow you need to get a scale you need to grind it up you need to make sure that everything is cracker dry and uh you know be logging it in a journal you know day one i took 25 milligrams no effect day two i took 50 milligrams noticed improvement in my mood. So again, these are all things that people need to take upon themselves and uh, really get scientific about it.
0: If somebody receives their mushrooms and they are not bone dry, is it as simple as just leaving the Ziploc bag open in a cool, dark place for a few days and just letting them dry out? Or should we use something more specific than that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it all depends on your environment and, and where you live and what to do. I know some people will even use a dehydrator. I don't know. I, I think the best thing to do is, yeah, keep the bag open, keep it in a place where it breathes and it gets air. Um, there are packets you can add that help suck the moisture out. Um, you even see them in cannabis. So there's a lot of different ways and things you can do to, to get the last of that, that moisture out.
0: All right. So, when measuring doses, there is one more variable, and that's the fact that there are a lot of different types of psilocybin mushrooms that contain psilocybin, and uh, they have differentiating potencies. Um I normally act like, unless I'm having penis envy mushrooms, I I just assume that everything else is pretty much going to be the same and I just dose as I will. But is there something more sophisticated than that that we should be aware of for adjusting our dosing weight to the potency of the mushroom variety that we are taking?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And there are a few mushroom varieties out there that are uh, way more potent than others, you know penis envy is is the big name that um I'm always hearing and talking about, and I just don't know that penis envy is um a good one for everyone to microdose because it's too strong um I know I took one time what I thought was a penis envy microdose and it took turned into a full on uh large dose so again if you're going to microdose with penis envy I'm, I'm guessing you're using very very small amounts and and you should be uh more careful than with other varieties i know i believe it's cyanescence and acerenza I didn't say that right, but there are a couple other varieties that grow wild that are super, super strong and potent too. Um, Most people don't even eat them for large doses. So, you know, the the internet is a great resource to check out all the different varieties and and what they're good at. But, you know, most people that I'm working with, I'm suggesting that they're using a very mellow um, and stable variety. A lot of people are using Golden Teachers, uh, you know, Thai. Burmese, a couple different varieties, but uh, penis envy and and the stronger end mushrooms are probably mushrooms you you would want to save for the large dose journeys. Although um, I know there are groups out there that do like to microdose with the penis envy. So it's all personal preference. Um, But yeah, you need to be aware that some varieties of psilocyte are much stronger than others.
0: And this is a good argument, too, for knowing your source as well. Um, uh, You know, it's a good sign when the person that you're receiving the mushrooms from can also tell you the variety and, uh, you know, feel like they're closish to the cultivator. Um, Because while there isn't nearly the kind of abuse with mushrooms as there are with um, different sorts of intoxicants, and other drugs um, it's still good to be close to your farmer uh, both energetically and so that you can be aware of what the variety is
1: yeah when i was in cannabis as a farmer um you know we used to always say know your farmer kn- know your your medicine and where it comes from and it's the same with with your mushrooms and, and again i think the easiest way to do it is to grow it yourself and there are really amazing programs out there and ways that for you know 50 to 100 dollars, people can grow their own mushrooms have a relationship with the fungus and uh, grow enough under their bed in a shoebox to to supply them for a full year so the best way to really do it is to learn how to do it yourself and know exactly where it's coming from and if you're not set up in a place to do that yeah you absolutely have to know who's doing it how it's working um, should be vetted um, that type of stuff. So you have to be careful. And if you're getting it from somebody and he can't tell you whether it's penis envy, or a Thai variety, or Burmese, or or what it is, then you probably shouldn't get it from that person.
0: It's really fantastic to see so many uh, home cultivation classes uh, showing up all over the place. And I haven't taken enough of them to compare one to another. But I'm just glad to see the access to that information is, I mean, hell, nearly ubiquitous. Now, I think that's a good sign.
1: Yeah, you know, people always talk to me as someone who pivoted out of the cannabis space. Well, aren't you worried about big pharma? And what about corporation coming in and and privatizing psilocybin? And to me, again, it's almost laughable because the reality is everybody can grow their own mushrooms. Big pharma, big, big capital, big corporations, they can't stop people they can't stop the power of these mushrooms, the ability to educate everybody how to grow these on their own. And growing mushrooms in your home is easier than growing cannabis for eight months out in the sun, I'll tell you that much. So the long and short of it is before we legalize and make it available for companies like my own to provide you microdosing products, we have to decriminalize first, which means we need to give everybody at home the ability to grow, gift, and gather their own mushrooms. If you're allowed to legally grow your own mushrooms and provide them to your friends and family, uh, then you don't have to go to the pharmacy and buy the overpriced psilocybin. And then big corporation and big pharma doesn't have that power. So again, I'm not worried about it. I think. The most important thing moving forward is that we decriminalize before we legalize. For those of your listeners out there who are interested in this, decriminalized nature is a great group to get involved in. And again, we need to continue to decriminalize so that people aren't persecuted and put in jail if they can't afford to buy the legal products.
0: Here, here. So let's talk about tummy aches and nausea. Um, Certainly with uh, larger doses, macro doses, uh, tummy aches and nausea um, as the fruiting body of the mushroom is processed in the gut um, really is um, uncomfortable for a lot of folks. And when I first experimented with with microdosing at at point one, um, I figured, oh, it's such a small amount, I won't feel, you know, any nausea at all. And yet I still feel a little bit of constriction in my gut and a little bit of nausea. And some people experience it even more than that. So um I'm curious to know what your experience is with um both um how common um nausea is at these low, low micro doses. And if you have any tips or tricks for decreasing that experience.
1: Yeah. Can I ask you first, did you blend up your dose and was it in a capsule or were you taking it on the tongue and tasting it? How, how were you ingesting?
0: It was a a non blended up 0.1 put in a capsule. So there was a, there was a firm, small mushroom body in the capsule
1: okay okay interesting yeah you know for me um and i suggest again between that 100 and 150 ish milligram range for people starting i don't get a lot of reports of of tummy aches and again the suggestion is to grind it up and put it in a capsule the other thing is you got to, I suggest taking it with, with food, you know, having some food in your system. So was there food in your system? Was there not?
0: Yeah, definitely not. That's interesting. I was actually taught to take it on an empty stomach. So the, here's a myth that I got, you know, in college all those years ago, that's not right anymore. Will you speak more to that?
1: Well, it's not that it's not right, because I think that there's plenty of people that take it on an empty stomach, and I'm someone that intermittent fasts almost daily. I don't really do breakfast, so I'm also kind of taking it on an empty stomach. I don't recommend taking it on an empty stomach for anyone that doesn't want to maybe get rushes of feeling more of a a mini dose you know if you don't have food in your system it's going to hit you harder so i think in college the reason that we weren't trying to eat is we wanted to trip harder we wanted to feel we wanted to feel it more um but no i i suggest that most people if their routine is to have food in their stomach in the morning then they need to have food in their stomach in the morning or it could help them feel Um, uncomfortable. The other thing is, is I think these other mushrooms that you stack together, especially in in the flow state blend when we stack chaga and cordyceps and maitake, which chaga and maitake are good for the immune system, I think that those also help with the nausea because I don't get any reports from my clients with an upset stomach, nor do I hear much about an upset stomach with the Paul Stamets stack. So again, the upset stomach could be an issue of maybe no food in your belly um, or maybe even your microdose is a little too high. Um, And then for people that just have an aversion to psilocybin and it's just always giving them a tummy ache, again, after capsulizing it and grinding it up, um, maybe take it with some ginger and uh, have a ginger tea or or eat a ginger chew or something like that and, and get some ginger into your system to potentially help your stomach as well.
0: Um, after hearing that little bit, it's like I stacked the wrong things to do, right? You know, it's like I didn't grind um, the mushroom, I took it on an empty stomach. I mean, it's like, all right, this is going to be, uh, oh, and I didn't stack it with other. Healthy mushrooms, even though I have five defenders in my house, I never thought to put them together. So that that could radically change my experience. So that's great. Um, let's talk about a uh, significant sensitivity to psilocybin because while it's a very very small number of people, there are people who are hypersensitive. And would you talk a little bit about you know how common that is? Uh, just to reinforce the start slow because I find that that the the, the finding for people to start low and slow is one of the hardest things to get folks to actually do
1: yeah i think if you've never taken a psychedelic before you're absolutely the person we're talking to when we say start low and go slow you know for those of us that have had more experiences you've got more room for error you can handle it if that large dose experience kicks in or the mini dose you might actually strap on your seatbelt and enjoy the ride but for beginners you really got to take your time and these psychedelics even in small amounts are non-specific amplifiers and the reason so much healing in my opinion happens with the microdosing of psilocybin is all of the traumas or emotions or things that we've buried maybe even since childhood that we have failed to deal with are brought to light almost like a spotlight is is shined on it and you can't hide it anymore and you're forced to deal with it and you're forced to do the work and that's why so many people are benefiting from this microdosing of Psilocybin, especially in regards to um, helping many of my clients get off of uh, 20, even 30 years at times of of antidepressants and anti-anxieties and every pill under the sun that you can think of.
0: So, we mentioned at the top that you are not a medical doctor, and we always recommend that people talk to their doctors before you know going down these paths and hopefully you 've got a doctor that you can be this frank with, even though most of us don 't um, but I say this just to set up the question adam are there are there any particular pre existing conditions that are um, that suggests that you should not be taking psilocybin mushrooms as a microdose? Is there is there anything that we already know that is is contraindicated?
1: Yeah, great question. So microdosingpsychedelics.com is a great website that Dr. Fadman put together that has all those contraindications and all the different medications. Um, again that we're uh, developing through the the you know more than fifteen hundred reports that he's gotten over the years. So um, uh, I just went blank, Shango. What was the question again? Uh, yeah,
0: well, we were talking about uh, pre-existing uh, contraindications. Oh, pre-
1: contraindications, right. So as far as pre-existing contraindications, we've gotten reports, or I should say Dr. Fadiman's gotten reports, that lithium is a medication that you should not combine with microdosing, um, as well as a rare form of, I, I believe it's yellow, blue, or some kind of colorblindness where people have reported for a few days after microdosing, they're still seeing light tracers, um, which is an effect that people get from taking large doses. Um, what's fascinating is there aren't really any reported contraindications to dates with antidepressants and, you know, many different pharmaceuticals. So for me, that's what is so exciting about the future is that these can be used as tools to help people wean off of other supplements. Now, when I'm working with clients that are weaning off of drugs for many years, this is also involving their doctor. You know, they go to their doctor first and they ask for a weaning protocol. And what I'll tell you is majority of the doctors don't have a weaning protocol. They know how to get you on a medication, but they have no clue how to get you off. So again, you know, you have to go to your doctor first and let them know you want to wean these medications. You ask them for a protocol, you ask them for a safe and effective way, and you take it very, very slowly. So again, you know, Weaning off of medications with microdosing is is something that people should do with assistance, with somebody who's guided other people from it. Um, Of course, you could do it on your own as well. But again, I'm excited for the future aspect of helping people get off of other drugs and other substances like alcohol, tobacco, heroin, pharmaceuticals.
0: So you mentioned earlier uh, you recommended journaling, and we recommend journaling a lot on this show, both for finding out what cultivars of cannabis flowers you like or if you're doing a you know a high um A high potency cannabis oil protocol for, you know, a uh, for cancer or some other chronic disease Um, journals are very important. What do you recommend that your clients put in their microdosing journal and why do you tell them that they should have one?
1: Well, it's really subtle changes when you're working with microdosing, and a lot of people come into microdosing and they want that home run grand slam on their first dose, like they get from a large dose journey. So for me, uh, the journaling is to help them notice the subtle things that are changing. It's to help them look back at their day. You know, I more recommend in, in my practice that people journal before bed as a reflection on their day and how their day went. And what I find is when I have follow-up conversations with them, they start the conversation a lot of times with, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good week. Um, I didn't notice that much. And I'm like, all right, well, share with me your journal from Wednesday. And they read me their journal, and then they're done. And they're like, oh, wait, actually... There were huge, huge improvements (laughs) this week. So the journaling, more than anything, is to connect them with themselves, to connect them with where they want to focus and where their days went. Uh, But it's also, at the end of the month, something that they can look back on and notice that they made giant leaps over the course of a month, but they were simply in baby steps.
0: Well, Adam, I really appreciate you sharing all of your experience with us. And you know, your field is just like, well, I guess cannabis is your field too. But you know, the, the, both of these fields um, suffer from a lot of bro science. And one of the good things about this uh, increasing normalization is that we're able to speak more freely with each other. You know, you, we, we've got this episode that people are going to be able to listen to and then talk to their friends and family. And, and this information is being able to be be spread in ways that, um, well, not only are more free, but where we can really develop expertise. And so I think it's um, wonderful for you to join me on the show today so that we can, you know, discuss something within your expertise and hopefully get rid of some of the myths and replace them with, with scientific encouragement.
1: Most important thing we did years ago in cannabis was re-educating people, was teaching them the truth and myth-busting. And it's the same thing we have to do in psychedelics is re-educate and that's the path we're on.
0: Awesome, brother. Well, thank you very much. If you want to find out more about Adam Bramlage, I totally suggest that you go follow him on Instagram. That's where I met Adam and his uh, Instagram at State. Micro flow state micro is uh, a wealth of information. And then if you want to get in contact with Adam directly or know where he's teaching or anything like that, you can go to his website at flowstatemicro.com. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news, exclusive videos, and giveaways. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. Be sure to follow on Instagram for all original content not found on the podcast. That's at Shaping Fire and at Shango Lose on Instagram. Be sure to check out the Shaping Fire YouTube channel for exclusive interviews, farm tours, and cannabis lectures. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose.